listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Thanks for joining us for Advent 2016, Living Word. All right. Good morning, Real Life. How's it going? Glad to be here with you. Yes, it is darker over here than it is over there. It is by design. No one needs to tell anybody else. It's all part of the grand scheme. Just hang with us. All answers will be revealed. I want to give a shout out to our Pullman campus. Glad to have you with us. And uh, for those of you that are at the Pullman campus, let me talk to you for just a second. You need to go talk to Emmy and get signed up for Night to Shine. She's over there. Uh, We're excited about the Night to Shine event. And you guys need to get in there and get signed up and help out. This is going to be a fun thing for our church. Uh, And for both campuses, if you know of organizations that work with people with special needs, or if you know of families who have children with special needs, uh, let us know so that we can invite them to come and be a part of it. It'll be awesome. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, The other thing that I'd throw out is we're coming in on the home stretch of going to, getting signed up to go to Israel. So if that's something that's on your radar, uh, it's about time to make that decision. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. You're going to love it. Come with me. It'll be awesome. Sign up now. Um, no, we're, we're running, out, running out of time. So for those of you that have been kind of like, ah, maybe that'd be kind of fun, be kind of cool. Yeah, you got it. It's time to, it only costs $400 to hold your spot. So that's all you have to come up with today. You don't have to come up with the whole amount right on the front end. You can pay as you go, but it costs $400 to hold your spot, and you can pay the rest off as you go. Um, so come sign up, and it'll be awesome. We are starting a new series today. I was accused this morning of becoming liturgical. <laughs> Don't worry. I ain't that guy. Uh, but about five years ago, we started doing Advent as a church, and I, growing up, I never did Advent because I wasn't part of a church that did Advent, and um, so it's been kind of fun to do this. What I can tell you is uh, each year, Advent, there's a lot of pressure um, on this side of Advent to try to make it interesting. It's this, like, you know what's coming. It's the same story, and that's kind of the design of Advent. It's this time in the church calendar where we tell the story of the birth of Jesus. If you've never been through an Advent, the word Advent means arrival, and we are telling the story of the arrival of Christ in the world. And so each year, we're going to take the five weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas, culminating at Christmas Eve, and we're going to tell the story of Jesus being born. And each week has a piece of the story, and each week has a theme. And so we start to tell the story. So if you're doing Advent reading at home, this week you will start talking about hope and about the prophecies of the Old Testament. And that's where we camp out in Advent on the first week. Now, for our sermon series, what we want to talk about is Jesus as the light of the world. What does it mean that Jesus came to be the light of the world? And and this is important, particularly coming on the heels of our Leviticus series, where we talked about this book that has all these crazy 
laws and statements and things that are weird, and I don't know what to even do with that stuff, and, and what, what am I supposed to make out of that? Jesus came to be a light for us to see those rules, laws, decrees, commands through. Does that make sense? Which is why there's a light here. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm super creative. I don't know. But what's happening in our world is there's a whole lot of people that are trying to make sense out of how to live this life. Some are even trying to make sense out of what the Bible says, but they're meandering around in the dark because they're not looking at the Bible through the light of Jesus. Jesus came to shine a light on God's word, not on your particular idea about how things should go, incidentally. So everything that Jesus does is a light that shines on the word of God. It helps us understand what God meant when he wrote what he wrote. So it's important that we look at the scripture through the lens of Jesus, the conversations that Jesus had, the conversations that Jesus didn't have. Those are all important for us in understanding what God wants us to do with this book that he wrote. Now, we're going to kind of camp out in the Gospel of John through this series for a couple of reasons. One is because Paul Patterson is fixated on the Gospel of John, uh, and he's a big baby about it. Um, and so finally, we just gave in. We were like, fine, um, we'll do what you want to do, Paul. <sighs> um, that was about 70% joke. <laughs> you know what makes a joke funny is that there's a kernel of truth in it. That's, that's what makes a joke funny. Okay, so the other piece of it is John, in writing his gospel to Asia Minor, is describing the arrival of Jesus to the world as Jesus as God. And so what he's doing is actually really good, really fits in line with a lot of what we talk about in, during the Advent series. And so we want to we kind of live in the Gospel of John, at least the first few chapters of it over the next few weeks. And um, we're, I'm excited about this. So we're going to start in John chapter 1, and we'll build out from there. So let's read. In the beginning was the Word. Who is the Word? Jesus. Now, this is really important. Because from a Jewish perspective, they believe that words live. Like, this is not a new concept that John, John's just like, man, what if the word was like a living word? Like, that's, words live. In their mind, when you, when you bless somebody, like, you obligate God to pulling it off. And coincidentally, when you curse somebody, you also obligate God to pulling it off. Like, your words have life. And so how you speak to people matters a lot. The words, because once a word leaves your mouth, it lives, it has a life. And you don't, it's like turning over a pot of hot water. If you choose your words poorly, you don't get to pick where the water goes and who it burns. That's the unfortunate reality of words, right? And so words have power, they have meaning, they live. And this concept... Uh, uh, 
this concept in the Jewish world is really, really critical. That parents will line their kids up each morning on the way out for school and bless each one on their way out every day. Which people go, man, that seems a little bit mundane routine. I think there's something to it. Like, not to racially profile, but think about this for just a second. How many of the owners of Fortune 500 companies are Jewish? And conversely, what percentage of the prison population is Jewish? Like maybe there's something to this. Maybe there's something to the power of words. Words live. The, the idea in the Jewish world is, uh, it uses this Hebrew phrase. So say it after me. Basora, labasar. Word to flesh. Basora labasar means word to flesh. This idea is critical in Jewish thinking. So the fact that God's word would take on life through Jesus makes total sense to them. That's what we're celebrating during our Christmas season. We're celebrating that God's word takes on flesh to be a light to the world about what this means. Okay, let's read on. In the beginning was the word, uh, go back, I didn't finish that slide. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in, in the beginning with God, and all things... How many things? That's important. Were made through him and without him, not anything made that was made, except for maybe Velveeta cheese. That is an act of man. There is no redeeming piece of Velveeta. <laughs> In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, that's not John the writer of the Gospel of John. It's John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his, his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh, basora la basar. And dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's a tension we live in. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. How many of us this morning understand exactly what it means to receive grace upon grace from Jesus. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. Only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Now, Jesus is God taking on flesh to show us what God's like. Why? in order to help us understand what this means. Because what's going on in the Bible as God writes this narrative, 
about him partnering with his people to tell the world a particular story about how the world's supposed to function. What we see is God's invitation to us to partner with him is about revealing his character in the world. Think about this. Why, why does God pick the rules that he picks? Like he's God, he can pick any rules that he wants to, right? Why does God pick the rules that he picks? Is he just trying to control you? He's like sitting with the angels, hey, check this out. Let's see if we can make him do this. Uh, don't swear. <laughs> Watch this. Hit your thumb with a hammer. <laughs> you know, like, I told you don't swear. Let's see if he can do it. <laughs> is, he, like, is it just about control? Or is there something else there? Is there something else there? Well, if we start to look at it, the, re the reason why we have the rules that we have is because the rules reveal to us God's nature. We don't lie because God is truth. Right? We don't commit adultery because God is love. We don't murder because God is life. This is what the Bible is all about. And Jesus is God taking on flesh to walk out what we're supposed to look like as we follow this. And if we don't look like Jesus in following this, then we're missing the boat entirely. And this is critical for us to get because there's a lot of Christians who fight like the devil for the things of God, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. We have to understand Jesus is the light of the world to reveal to us God, but to shine a light on this so that we can partner with God in redeeming what sin broke. That's our mission. Does that make sense? Now, this is critical for us to understand. Like, there's all kinds of ways that this would show up. Think about just in your family unit. Like, how do you talk to your spouse? Or how do you talk to your kids? Or how do you talk to coworkers? Or how do you talk to the, the waiter or waitress? Or how do you talk to the grocery store clerk? Like, do you talk to them as if they're there to serve you? Like, oh, you got my order wrong. You need to take this back and tell them to fix it. Or when you pray before your meal and you say, God, thank you for this food, do you actually mean it? Like, are, you, are, we, are we actually in a position where we look like Jesus? Let me, let me play. This, this one's going on the internet, so I'm sure. Don't send me any emails. Just don't. I thought that once we had an elected president that the political stuff would go away. Oh my goodness. Like, I get, I get that people are concerned. I get it. I get it. Uh, I honestly, had the election gone another direction, I think people on the other side of the fence would be equally concerned. And, and they would have probably equally done the same stuff. Here's the problem. Throw a fit all day long out of your fear, and guess what? At the end of it, He's still president. Like, you can't... He, and they're like, well, we don't have any alternatives. We have to... Canada. Like, that's a... There are, there are options. 
And I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm really not. And I'm not trying to be insensitive. I'm really not. So don't, don't. But the problem is when we act like that, we show where our hope lies. And our hope is not in our government. It never was. Our hope is in Christ alone. Advent shows us that our hope rests in our God taking on flesh to show. So, so like, well, what does Jesus have to say about Trump and Hillary? Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. And unto God what is God's. Like, you don't get to pick just because you don't like how it turned out. Well, not, he's not my president. No, actually, he is. He is. Like, you can actually get that tattoo. Or, or Canada. Like, he, then he's not. But if you claim to be an American citizen, like he, he is, and so we, we, and we wind up looking like fools in the process, and that's the concern because we get robbed of our peace, which is, that's our God-given right through Christ Jesus. You're robbing yourself of your joy, your hope, all the things that Jesus died to make possible for you. Like, I wonder if we could actually adopt this Advent message and really mean it. I wonder what it would change about how we talk to coworkers, about how we, how we talk to our friends. How, like, what priority do people take in our life? Or are you an object to get me ahead or am I here to help you become everything you were intended to be? Even if it means you get the promotion and I don't. It's like we're so scared about being overlooked for promotion. It, it's weird. Bosses, tell me if I'm wrong after the service. I'm sure you will. But if you had somebody in your company that dedicated their life to making every employee around them better, do you think you'd want to have that person employed? I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. But it seems to me like if we actually just actually walked out the actual principles that are actually in the Bible the way that Jesus actually did it, the world would change. And what we have to do is stop trying to leverage the world and Jesus to get our own agenda ahead. Here's why. Because God created the world to function in a certain way. Whether you buy that way or not is irrelevant. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Check this out. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Hmm. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Jesus is the image of God. So if you want to know how God would think about you functioning in the world, look at Jesus. Next one, Hebrews 1. Long ago, and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by a son. Here's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. 
for a long time, there was all these books, these prophets and stuff that they were write, written down, and it was confusing. But in these last days, Jesus actually came and took on flesh and walked it out so that we would know what he was meaning. Whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. If you want to know what God's like, Look at Jesus. Why? Because God is just like Jesus. He's the exact imprint of God. Now this matters a ton to us. It matters a ton to us. Because if we're going to call ourselves Christians, we are going to have to start actually looking like Jesus in our world. And today, in today's world, I believe with all of my heart that now more than ever, we need a group of people in our world that are willing to stand up and go, this doesn't scare me. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able and we used to sing that hymn all the time, right? To keep that which I've committed unto him against the day. Anyway, that's why I'm not in worship team, but you guys are like, I don't even recognize that. I'll have my wife sing it. You guys will be like, oh, oh, that one. The, is, do we believe that God is able? Because if we say we do, and we're still acting like we're panicked over the world situation, then what we're telling the world is that we are more concerned about our lifestyle than we are about the faithfulness of our God. And God didn't make the world to provide for you a lifestyle. Now, you may have a lifestyle, you may not have a lifestyle, that doesn't matter. I had a... a Years ago when, when 9-11 happened, our, our church at the time, I wasn't here, but at the church at the time, we had a big uh, all-church prayer meeting. It was really powerful. It was awesome. And I had this guy who was from the East Coast came to me in the middle of that, and he said, man, I am really scared. And I was like, really? Because I thought maybe it was like family or something like that. I was like, really? Well, what's, what's the matter? And he goes, well, I have like $6 million on the stock market. I might lose it all. I mean, I don't want him to lose $6 million, but where does your hope lie? See, Advent, Advent is an invitation to an honest evaluation of where our hope lies. That good times and bad times and medium times, they happen. And prosperity and suffering and pain and tragedy, that it, it happens, it happens, but they don't have the final word. God does. And because of that, I can hope in my Savior. And that changes everything about how I weather all the storms. Uh, to say it another way, worry is practical atheism. Worry is you telling God, I don't believe you have this under control. Does that make sense? And I know that that's like, ow, I'm, I'm just a high-stressed person. Um, no, I love you. 
you're a low faith person. Hear me. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying the advent is an invitation to a hope that doesn't change like the shifting shadows. So there's all kinds of implications for this. We're going to move towards the Lord's table at this point. Uh, I want to um, invite those that are going to serve communion to go back and start passing it out. If you're new with us this morning, I want to uh, tell you we have an open table. And what that means is that anybody that's willing to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us is invited to partake. Um, that being said, I want you to hold your elements till the end and we'll take communion together. Why does Advent give us hope? Why does Advent give us hope? Let's work through some implications. First of all, Advent gives us hope because God sees us. Advent is the story of a group of people who were under tremendous suffering, believing that they were under suffering for living righteously at the time. Advent is a story of God taking on flesh to prove that he hasn't forgotten his people. It's a good message for us today. Secondly, Advent gives us hope because God doesn't just see us, he also joins us. God joins us in our mess, which is one of the reasons why it's so important for us to recognize that Jesus was born into sheep manure to tell you that the crap of your life matters too. There's no place that, <laughs> that's a, like that play on words, the there's no place that's so low, so nasty, so dirty in your life that God won't go there. There's no place that God won't go in your life. God didn't come for the plastic parts of you. He didn't come for the fake, pretty, washed-off, clean version. He came to redeem the mess. He sees it, and he joins us in the mess. Not only does God see us, and not only does God join us, but he also shows us what the next steps look like. He shows us what it looks like for us to walk out this in the world. He shines a light on these words so that they can live for us. The last thing that I would say is God sees us God joins us, God shows us, but he doesn't just stand like a cheerleader on the sideline and go, go, go team. You fight hard. God leads us on the path that he wants us to walk. And that's critical. I love that Jesus at the Last Supper, he's telling his guys that he's gonna leave and they're scared to death. And he says, don't worry about it because I'm going to send you a counselor that's going to do greater things in you than I've ever done. I love that he gave us the Holy Spirit. I, I want to close today by reading Matthew chapter 6. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. 
But if your eye is bad, your whole body would be full of darkness. Now, I would love to spend time talking to you about good eye, bad eye. This is a very important metaphor in the Jewish world. I don't have time to talk about it other than to just to make this point. What you're looking at, what you're focusing on, the information you're allowing to come into your soul through your eyes says a lot about whether or not you're able to have hope or not. Says a lot about that. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, money's a bad translation there. It's mammon. It would be better translated anything else that you would try to find your hope or your peace in. Uh, it could be government, retirement, job, status, house, cars, power, whatever. Whatever it is, doesn't matter. You can't serve God and those things. You're going to have to pick. Now, that doesn't mean you can't be a Christian and have retirement. That's not, that's not what I said. It just means you can't believe that your retirement is your security. Because no matter how big your bank account is, they can all be gone in an instant. But God doesn't change. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about, what, about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap or gather in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable, value, more value than they? Remember this, uh, what this is called? When we did the Roman series, remember what this is called? Calva Homer, lesser greater, the lesser and the greater. If God loves birds like this, how much more does he love you? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life? The answer is none. By the way, if you worry too much, you can take hours away, if that's what you want. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O little, you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things be added to you, will be taken care of. Listen, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and don't worry about the other stuff. Have an opinion. Do. But don't believe that imposing your opinion or yelling at everyone who has an opinion different than you is going to, number one, change anything, or number two, make anything better. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All the other stuff will take care of itself. Make sense? This is critical for us to understand. How do we have hope? We have hope because God doesn't change. And the same Jesus that took on flesh and walked amongst us 2,000 years ago is the same Jesus that lives in your heart. It's the same Jesus that's inviting us to the same truths to walk out today. Communion is an opportunity for us to see another living picture of what it looks like to rest, to have peace in who God is. It's an invitation to lay our life down the way Jesus did. It reminds us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He gave thanks and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. So whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me.
And then after the dinner, he took a cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood to shed for you. So whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Lord, thank you for the living word that Jesus took on flesh, that Jesus went to messy places, that Jesus invites us to the truth of our own life, not to make us feel bad or guilty, but to give us hope. Lord, thank you that death and tragedy and destruction and pain and suffering don't have the final word, but that your love and grace and compassion will win. We love you in your name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, connect with us on Facebook and Twitter, and visit our website, liferotp.com.